I have the privilege of speaking this morning, and um, we are uh, we are in a new series. Uh, Johnny launched the the, the teaching series uh, that'll last us through the end of the year. Last week, did it magnificently, and if you didn't hear it, love you to uh, catch up with it on. Um, gosh, there's so many different ways: podcasts uh, on our website, on Easy Church, and. Um, one of the things I was thinking when, when Jonathan was speaking last week was that a huge part of preaching and teaching is, is that it's just reminding ourselves of what we already know, what, what we believe, what we hold dear and true, and the creeds. So we're, we're looking at this uh, series called We Believe, exploring the treasures of the church and joining the chorus of the church, what the church has believed for the last 2,000 years uh, and what's been faithfully passed on from generation to generation. And we're looking particularly at the Apostles' Creed uh, over until we get to uh, December. Um, and it's interesting that the three articles of the Apostles' Creed were traditionally used as, as the three questions or the three affirmations that people would make as they presented for baptism. And a creed is a little bit like a plumb bob. It's, it's like kind of going, is, are, we building, are we building this accurately? Are we building this according to the plan? Um, and, and it's a really helpful thing. It's a simple thing, uh, and yet it's a profound thing. I, was, um, I, I read a couple of weeks ago that um, I'm always slightly wary of, of surveys because I think statistics can be used to prove pretty much anything. Um, but but this, was a, this was a Barna survey that said barely half of the evangelical pastors in the U.S. hold to a biblical worldview anymore. Um, and I'm not sure how they defined a biblical worldview, so it's always a bit tricky when you, when you read those things. But, but, but what it reminded me of is that it's really easy to drift. Drifting is drifting's the easiest thing to do. It takes, it takes effort to, to stand and to kind of go, this is what we believe. In the Apostles' Creed, it's, a, it's like a tightly packed summary of apostolic tradition. What the early church believed and what they regarded as essential belief. So here we go. We uh, Turn it on, it'll help. So this is, uh, this is the Apostles' Creed. I, I think pretty much every, uh, every style, every denomination, every stream of church uh, references this creed. So it says this. I won't, I won't do what Johnny asked us to do last week. I won't ask, ask us to read it together, but I'll read it to you. So fo just follow along on that screen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And um, so we're, we're up to the, the second article. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And uh, so we'll launch in and we'll see how far we get today. <clears throat> so the center, I, I guess one of the first things to note is that the center of our, of our faith is not a doctrine, but it's, but it's a person. It's the, it's the person, Christ Jesus, the Messiah. And our, our Christian faith is centered on, on our personal attachment to him. That we've, we've been joined to him, he, and he joined himself to us. It's, it's personal, but it's not private. Because we know this, that, that we, we who are joined to him 
we're attached to him, we follow him. And, and as the creed concludes, it talks about believing in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, as a, I grew up as a little Presbyterian boy, and, um, and I had lots of Catholic friends. And, and whenever we'd read this creed at, at our Presbyterian church, I'd kind of get to the part where it says, um, and I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And I'm like... Why not, the, why not the Holy Presbyterian Church? And um, those, those of you who know the meaning of the word, uh, we, you just know that Catholic means the whole. It's, it's everything. It's the whole church. So, so what, the, what the Apostles' Creed says is that we believe that, that when we put our belief and our trust in this, in this man, Christ Jesus, uh, that, that we become part of the, of the universal church, the whole church. Every one of us belongs to that same thing. So it's a, so it's a personal faith, but it's not a private faith. That, that we belong to each other. Our, our hearts are knitted to each other. And so when we, and, and again, when we confess that we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, we're, we're meaning the Lord, not, not any kind of Lord. Uh, another, later, um, another later confession uh, was the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, a catechism is a little bit like a creed, except it's, it's questions and answers. A question's posed and then an answer is given. And, and uh, as, a, as a young catechist, you'd, you would learn this is a response to this question. And in the Heidelberg Catechism of 1563, it says, What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And probably the earliest expression of, of what we might call a creed uh, arose very early in the church. And it was just this simple, this simple expression, Jesus is Lord. And, and that, that expression is such a profound expression. It, it's, it says so much, and yet it's such a simple thing. So what we're saying when we say that Jesus is Lord is we're saying this. We're saying that he alone has the ultimate rights over us. That, that he's not our Lord only when it suits us, but he's the Lord even when it doesn't suit us. And, and again, I mean, it's, I know these are, these are cheesy sayings, but, you know, but he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And, and it's this reality. For, so, for example, uh, if, you've, if you've known Christ for a while, one of the things that you would have learned really early on is this. He's not easy to follow. He asks us to do things that we don't like doing. He, he interferes in areas of our lives that it's like, mm, I'm not sure if I welcome you there. Uh, you know, he's, the, the reality is, there's, you know, and again, if I, I mean this in a, in a, in a um, you know, in a non-crass way, but there's, but there's times when we don't really like Jesus, you know, because he, he messes with us. He says, you need to stop doing that. It's like, are you sure? Everyone else is doing it. You know, surely I could do that. Uh, and he says, and, and I want you to start doing this. And we're like, I, that's, that's way too hard for me to start doing. But what this creed reminds us of is this, that, that when we say, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. What we're saying is that he's my Lord, that, that, he, that, my, that I'm choosing to trust him. That, I, that I, I'm choosing to trust him with my life. And the reality is that if we can, choose, if, if we can trust him with our future, if we, can choose, if we can trust him with our eternal destiny, if we can, if we can choose him to, if we can trust him to, to form us and to change us into, into a life that we really want to live, then, then we can truly trust this God. That he, to have him as Lord means to trust him in every area of our life. He alone is 100% trustworthy. 
Now, my wife, Victoria, I don't know if she's in the room, so it's probably safe to talk. Um, no, she's not, which is good. <laughs> but, but my wife, uh, I met her. Hello. How you doing there? Come on in. <laughs> um, my wife is the human that I trust the most in my life. I met her in 1978. Uh, and I quickly grew to love her and learned to trust her. And, and, and when we made our marriage vows, you know, I said, I, I trust you in sickness and in health and, uh, you know, and the whole kind of kit and caboodle. I, I trust her with my heart. I trust her to always choose what's best for me because she loves me and I love her. But the reality is that's a limited trust. For example, I do not trust her with my set of house keys <laughs> or my car keys. I've found them in all sorts of interesting places. <clears throat> um, and again, she does not, she, she feels the same with, uh, about me, but she doesn't trust me with the shopping list. When I go to the supermarket with a written out list, it's amazing if she says, bring home some almonds. It, it's, they're always in a block of chocolate. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with that. No, that's absolutely, <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> So, so we know this, but what our, so what our confession, when we say, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, what we're saying is this, that, that, I, that I, I trust him in everything, always, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it hurts, even when it's contrary to popular culture. And that's the kind of belief and trust that forms a life and a character and a destiny. And it's what Paul was referring to when he, when he wrote this. He said, to, you know, and it's a, it's a verse that's often just used quite blithely, I think. But he says, if you, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And so it's this deep sense of, it, it's not just kind of saying magic words. It's saying, I choose to arrange my entire life around the Lordship of Christ. I want him to shape me. I, wa I want him to, to teach me what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's good and what's beautiful and what's worth pursuing. I want him to shape me in that way. Anyway, we've got to move through this, this, uh, this creed. So uh, we're up to this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And I feel like I probably, um, I took one for the team getting this one. Because um, <laughs> this, this, uh, this part of the creed, has been, it's been a stumbling block to Christians, uh, to people who want to follow Jesus, to, to those who look at Christianity and say, oh my gosh, right in your very foundational doctrine, doc, uh, documents, you've got crazy stuff. You know, how could this happen? How, how, how could God, one, how could God become a human? Two, how can a virgin have a baby? Uh, and, and again, the reality is this, that, that, that it's, it's a stumbling block for those who have no category in their mind for a supernatural God. It's okay if, if, if it's a natural God who just influences us to be nice people. But, but for a supernatural God who can perform acts outside of the natural laws as we understand them, then that's the kind of God that we follow. And... Um, in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And it's this, it's this incredible, uh, this incredible uh, 
breaking into human history through God becoming one of us, loving us so much that he, that he actually became one of us. He, you, you know, the, the eternal, the, co, the, the co-God, the, you know, the, oh, stumbling over words this morning. Um, but but the, the God who was infinite, who spoke the worlds into existence, was able to, to shrink down into an, an embryo. It's an incredible thought. You know, and it, and it does kind of mess with our minds, but it's interesting. You know, in, in this, even in this passage here, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, will overshadow you. Um, it, it's an echo of Genesis one, where we read about the Spirit of God hovering over the void, and and day and night being formed, and the oceans being formed. You know, so so everything that we see was formed through that act of overshadowing. And then again, in in, in the second chapter of Genesis, there's, there's this uh, there's this second creation story where God fashions a human out of out of dirt, out of clay, and then breathes into that into that man the breath of life, and he becomes a living soul. And, and it's, 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 it's an echo or it's a fulfillment even of those, of those incredible things. Let me read you a quote out of the book that we're basing a little bit of this teaching series on. The confession that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin isn't just a bit of theological eccentricity. It's not a random miracle story. It's a reminder that our faith has deep roots in Israel's story and in Israel's scriptures. The coming of the Savior wasn't just a new thing. It was the culmination of the whole great story of God's loving faithfulness to the people of Israel. And when we confess that Jesus is born of of the Virgin Mary, we see him silhouetted against the backdrop of God's promise to Abraham. The exodus from Egypt, the rule of the judges, the coming of the prophets, and the promised deliverance from exile. And it's really interesting that that major hinge events in human history have often been around a miraculous birth account. You know, first of all, you know, Abraham and Sarah uh, and, and, the, and the establishment of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, when, the, when, the, when the first judges came, it, it, was, it was the mother of Samson who was unable to conceive. And then miraculously, she was able to give birth to Samson, the first and the greatest of the judges. That when the when the prophets came, it was Hannah who was barren, and, uh, and 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 God gave her the ability to have a child. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and all the way through, there's these stories of of of, of uh, miraculous births that usher in a new age. And this is the last and the greatest, when Mary, <clears throat> a virgin, gave birth to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's an incredible story. Um, again, you know, there was a, a, a Christian pastor, I guess we'd call him, Hippolytus, uh, said that in the virgin's womb, the Son of God refashioned the first formed Adam in himself. The first Adam led the human race astray, but here's a second Adam, a new Adam, a new beginning for the human family, a new ancestor who will lead us into life and joy. So how do, we, how do we attempt to understand this? You know, it's one thing to just kind of say the words, you know, and, and it's not wrong to say words that we don't fully understand. You know, I, I remember when I, I got baptized as a 20-year-old, I, I, I came to faith uh, in Jesus as a 20-year-old, and I, and I got baptized in water pretty quickly after that. And, and it's over the years that that event has, has come to bring, has come to have more and more and deeper and deeper meaning as I've understood 
what I did back then. And so there's, there's moments when we can read these words and kind of say, I, you know, I, I believe them. I think Johnny, I, I'm going to absolutely mangle his quote from last week, but, but I think it was uh, Augustine that said something, if you want to believe, if you want to understand something, believe it first. Believe it to understand it. And, and, and I think the creed is a little bit like this, that, that we say these words and we don't, we don't fully understand them. I believe in the virgin birth. You know, it's like, well, I, yeah, I want to. Um, again, there's another early church father, Origen, in the third century, Origen from Alexandria, he, he came up with this image of, of taking a, a piece of steel, uh, and, or a piece of iron, I guess it would have been then, uh, and, and, and put it into a fire and, and heat it up. And, 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 said, and he said, it's interesting that, that uh, let, me just, let me just read you what, what his words said. He said, in the fire, this iron has become holy fire since nothing else is discerned in it except fire. And if anyone were to attempt to touch or handle it, he would not feel the power or the feel of iron, but of fire. Uh, and, and in this way, that soul, that is Jesus' human soul, which is like iron in the fire, was placed in the word forever, in wisdom, forever, in God, forever, and is God in all that it does and feels and understands. And, and, and what he was trying to explain was this reality of how God, the uncreated, could come to be born of a human. How did that happen? You know, and he's saying it's a little bit like that, that if you reach out and you touch a, a piece of metal that's been fired in a fire, you don't feel the metal, you feel the fire. And yet it still is metal. You know, and, and, and people have tried to explain you know, this, this whole this dual nature of Christ, that he's both God and man. How does that work? And, and, and every explanation is kind of, it's kind of helpful to a point. But, but again, it's one of these things that kind of helps us understand a little bit that Jesus is completely human and completely divine. This is not an embarrassing part of our, of our creed. This, this is not kind of one of those bits you kind of, you know, you, you sort of mumble your way through and say it's not really that important anyway, but just let's move on to good bits. Um, you know, it's actually a really vital part that, that if he didn't become one of us, then we're all still trapped in our sin. We're all, we're all still condemned. This part of the creed reminds us that he's completely human and completely divine. It's believing that the Holy Spirit provided one gamete and Mary provided the second gamete and together they came together and, this, and Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Humanity, was conceived in that miraculous moment and was born a human baby nine months later. It's an incredible thing. And like I say, people, people have trouble believing that God could do this, that a, pregnant could, that a virgin could be pregnant and, and carry God himself. It, you know, and in reality today, it's, it's, probably, it's probably less hard to believe. You know, there's all sorts of different options for having babies. It used to be that you would know the mother uh, of the baby because it was the one that gave birth. But we have, we have surrogacy now. Um, you know, and, and who knows, who knows where... Um, you know, uh, fertility advances and maybe even cloning is going to provide new and frightening ways of producing people like us. Oh, my goodness. You know, can you, can you imagine having more than one of you? <coughs> no, it would not be good. <laughs> and in some ways, even with our understanding of things like I mean, this is a little bit how my, my mind works, but, but even, the, even the whole thing of quantum mechanics and the, you know, um, uh, field string theory and the, the relatedness of different objects that are, that are far remote but, it, but influence one and influences something else. It's, it's not that hard for us to believe how God could do this, the mechanics of how he could do it. But, what it, but it's, it's not so much how it happened, it's the fact that it did happen, that we believe. 
that our Savior, the one who's the one who's given us life, the the one who enables us to be to be transformed, to become the people that, he, that we're longing to be, that one came, and He loves us. You know, the creed reminds us that Jesus is unashamedly unique. That when He makes claims, He can do it because He was God. That He and He is God. And that he was one of us, that he was tempted with everything that we were tempted with, that, that he was exposed to whatever we're exposed to. You know, that, that he became a human to rescue us from ourselves. That, that, that God going to the cross to defeat the enemies of sin and death itself and then rising from the dead as the first resurrected human three days later. That's the story that we follow. That's what they creed in, in, the, in those you know, seemingly eccentric words that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, are actually really important to us. They tell us that we belong to someone who is way beyond us, to a, to a God who came and invaded our world, that, 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 this, that this revolution that he set in motion has been going on since that time. And so when we say these simple words of, I, I believe, in, 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 uh, I believe in, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord. When we say those words, it, it, it actually reminds us that we're connected to someone that's, that is eternal. That the one who's working in our hearts is, is not just, it's not just a kind of a, a philosophy. It's not just a grand idea to kind of improve your life. It's actually we're connected to a God who gives us life, to a God who, who changes us from the inside out. Um, we're we're going to celebrate communion. So maybe would someone just uh, love for us to do this as, as uh, with the children as well? It's a really important thing for us. Thanks, Matthew. Um, you know, we believe when we say these words, we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, who came to redeem humanity, who came to set all things right. He came to free us to become fully human, fully alive. He came to give us life, life in all its abundance, John 10.10 10 says. You know, and, and that we would, that there's only one begotten Son of God, but there's, I think there's, there's over a billion uh, adopted children, sons and daughters of God. And we are them. It's an incredible thing. That's, you know, I, I often find when I'm standing here, I, 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 probably like every preacher, you have a whole lot of dialogues going in your head, like just sit down and words like that. Um, but, but, you know, it's an incredible to kind of think that we're standing reminding ourselves of things like this, that he knows each one of us, that, that he's got over a billion adopted children. Come on in. You know, and then he, that he knows every one of us, that he knows us, better than ourselves, you know, that he knows us from the, from the youngest Leo to the oldest Lloyd, you know, it's that he, that he knows us, that he's witnessed our lives, that, that he's been part of our lives, you know, and he's witnessed every moment of our life. I, I love how Liz kind of read us, read us through those words and that blessing of, you know, that, 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 that Leah would be aware of Christ, that Christ would be forming him every hour of the day and night. You know, it's an incredible thing that, that he loves us that much, that he would come to be one of us and that he loves to commune with us, that he loves to take up residence in our heart. And in this, in this uh, familiar Corinthians passage that leads us into communion, he says, uh, Paul's writing this, he says, I, I received from the Lord, same Lord that we, that we follow, 
What I also passed on to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, and, and in reality, there's so, many, there's so many mysterious parts of our faith. There's, there's, there's parts that we can't have the words for, but, but we're still beginning to plumb the meanings of them. You know, I, I think every time we read the scriptures, every time we celebrate communion, there's something inside of us that just goes, it's, it's remarkable what takes place. You know, I was thinking, and, and again, this kind of gives you an insight into how my brain works, but I was thinking when I was, when I was preparing this talk and thinking, you know, it needs to, it needs to uh, end around the celebration of communion, that, that, that being separated from God is a little bit like having, a, having an iPhone that's not, that's not plugged in, it's not charged, it's not, it's not synced. You know, it, it looks like it's really useful. It looks like it's, you know, a, a kind of a thing that, a great tool that you could have. But if it's not charged, if it's not synced, it's actually just a very expensive collection of, of chemicals. You know, it, it's not actually that useful. It looks like it could work. It has all the potential features to communicate and connect to me, connect me to pretty much all the information that I could ever need. And yet without being charged, without being synced, it's, it's mostly an unhelpful piece of metal and plastic. You know, and so when we come to communion, the ceremony that's at the very center of our Sunday gathering, it's, it's much more than a symbol that the Lord is here and, and that he's here in the midst mysteriously. We don't, you know, I, I can't explain how this functions, but he's here as we take, we, we don't have a loaf, we've got, we've got very beautifully sliced wafers um, and um, so, but we take that wafer that came out of the same plastic sleeve, so it's, we're connected in that way. Um, and, we, and we take the cup that's come out of that same jug. And, and we take that food and we take that drink into ourselves. We're mysteriously reminding ourselves that we're joined to the one who loves us, the one who came 2,000 years ago, the one, the one who witnesses everything about us. You know, that he's here in our midst and if you don't find out my, my illustration too crass, he's here, and as we do this, he's here to recharge us. He's here to resynchronize us. He, he's here to, to kind of to, to help us recenter everything, to remind ourselves that's what's important. That's what gives me life. I don't have life in myself. I derive my life from someone else. It's Jesus who gives me life. It's Jesus who gives me meaning. And so in the simple act this morning of, of coming and taking these, these symbols, it's, it's somewhere in the midst of taking those symbols that he comes and invades us again, that his life begins to flood into our lives, puts our life back into right relationship with God and with each other.